It's the end of another spring semester here at SAIC, and it's been a semester like no other. Luckily, as arts educators, administrators, and organizers, many of us find strength in our shared practice of being in community. Reading, reviewing, and responding to critical issues with Chicago at its core, and in this episode, we respond to Dr. Eve L. Ewing's Ghosts in the Schoolyard, using a mix of poetry, personal insights, and doing a deeper dive and reflection into some of the things we learned. We've named this episode The Institution of the People, which shares the title of the cover art, which we'll find a way to share with you, so keep an eye in the chat for that. And up first is Sam with an audio collage. Some of the following sounds were recorded inside one of the many buildings left abandoned by the 2013 decision to close 50-plus schools across the city of Chicago. Those schools include Altgeld, Armstrong, Attics. In a controversial move last week, the Chicago Board of Education voted to close 50 of the city's public schools. Some 30,000 students will be affected, around 90% of them African-American. They warn the closures will lead to overcrowded classrooms. You see class sizes, 40 students in third grade. And underutilized. Over at Beasley Elementary School, we have three third grade classes with about 40 students in each of those classes. Underutilized. But academic outcomes for those students remain flat and in some cases got worse. Struggling with poverty, lack of resources, and low test scores. The report says while reading scores overall remain neutral, math scores dropped and lasted four years. Spaces in the city that have suffered from mass school closures, that have suffered from the uh, mass uh, eviction of black people in the city. The mass indiscriminate firing of teachers and staff are predominantly black schools, regardless of the ratings, effectiveness, or tenure of those members. This was discriminatory. And right now, our members, the teachers, the paraprofessionals, the teachers' assistants, the school clerks, the counselors, the nurses, they are saying we do not have enough to meet the needs of our students. Woods Elementary. Ladies and gentlemen, many songs have been written, and this is one of them. Hi, my name is Elise, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm a junior art education student. I'm going to be discussing the role of test scores in school closures, as well as the impact the closures had on teachers from welcoming schools. Test scores are often one of the main factors in school closures. When test scores aren't high enough, schools close. The expectation is that students will relocate to better schools and their test scores will increase. After the 2013 Chicago school closures, this was not the case. Mayor Rahm Emanuel focused heavily on student performance on standardized tests when analyzing the overall performance of schools. The year of the announcement that their schools were to close, students' test scores were much lower than expected. In the following years, the students from closed schools continued to have lower than average scores, especially in math, even after relocating. A study from 2018 shows that students' test scores were negatively affected for at least the following four years. The same study shows students' GPAs were also affected in the long term. Why was this? 
If students were being relocated to better schools, why were their scores still suffering? Well, one reason is the lack of preparation welcoming schools had. Staff at the welcoming schools reported that the planning process did not prepare them and that the moving process was chaotic. The vote to close schools took place in May and the next school year began in late August. This gave teachers only a few months to pack up their classrooms and close schools, move to new ones, and prepare for their students. Many schools did not know how many additional students would be enrolling. Throughout the summer, teachers were swimming in boxes trying to prepare their schools and classrooms and said even by the beginning of the school year, they did not have enough supplies. Some of the welcoming schools even needed significant repairs and maintenance. Much of the preparation they received was irrelevant in the end because of the changing situations, forcing teachers to figure things out on their own. Closing underperforming schools may seem like it will give students a better opportunity to succeed, but in reality, it hurts students and teachers alike. This is Claire here, and after reading an article the other day by Katherine Gladstone about school closures, I read that the quantitative research regarding the effects of school closings is actually very limited. Um, think about your favorite coffee shop, you know, where you walk every morning and order the latte that you can't get anywhere else, um, and now that place closes without you knowing, so you walk over there per usual on a sunny day and the place is empty. There's an emotional attachment, you know, that we have with places that we frequent and places we associate with pleasure and patterns, and daily motions. Students go to school every day. They see their friends, they see their teachers, they sit in the same desk. There's, they're in a place of, of community and to have that taken away, you know, without warning has, has an emotional effect. And they're so young. There was uh, also a forum held a few years back, I think this was probably 2015 or so, um, called Close for Learning, the Effects of School Closure. Um, and I, I wanted to, to um, hinder some words um, of Professor Julian Vasquez um, about you know some studies that, that uh, have been taking place about students and uh, margins and you know numbers um, which is also uh, you know very relevant and of course Chicago's very infamous for school closures um, the data is consistently negative unfortunately um, but speaking of performance uh, if you want some numbers 94% uh, of students from CPS schools did not go on to academically strong new schools when their previous school had closed. And school closures have exacerbated inequalities and segregation in Chicago. Think about approximately 90% of these Chicago school closures have predominantly impacted African-American communities. And there's the split. You know, it, it happened in the past, it's happening now. Um, and, and the numbers match with the 
detriments of the, the the emotional health that these kids are are experiencing as well being so young and you know um, easily attached to things and then having that ripped away I mean it's gonna the, de- the decline is gonna show um, I can't say that I, I've had a school closure in, in my past but to think about how it would affect me you know as a child it's hard to to comprehend that um, so that there's an empathy that I have here with the kids uh, and the things that you know they go through and how the community loses some something like that um, but there's so much more that, that you know comes along with with school closures so I will pass it um, along thank you for listening My name is Blake, and I am a third year here at SAIC, and I also use he, him pronouns. Uh, A lot of my artistic practice revolves around writing, both poetry and prose, and in thinking about what I wanted to talk about in relation to ghosts in the schoolyard, I found myself particularly drawn to a question that Eve Ewing poses in the conclusion of the book, can we close schools with minimal trauma? While this is an incredibly complex question with no easy answers, it stuck with me because of its use of language, particularly the phrase minimal trauma, and also gives also how it gives the reader a picture of how prevalent and almost routine school closures have become at this point within Chicago. In response to this interest in language, I composed a series of short erasure poems, poems created out of an already existing piece of text by obscuring certain words or phrases. In this case, I pulled from a fact sheet about Chicago school closures composed by Rodo Rey Gutierrez and Pauline Lipman, members of the University of Illinois at Chicago's Collaboration for Equity and Justice in Education initiative. The intentions of these poems is to examine the language often used within school closings and conversions to charter schools and to further support the information Lipman and Gutierrez present within their preliminary text. The first poem is titled Prelude. School sits south, send students. Story has been repeated across the country. Thinking about the language most often used surrounding school closures, this next piece is titled Phase Outs, Turnarounds, and Conversions. Test case for school improvement, drastic action, change, promise, disastrous disruption, loss, little improvement, phase out, program sabotage, despite the energy put in to improve. The next three poems come from what Lippmann and Gutierrez describe as the three Ds of school closures. One, destabilization, whirlwind churning, turned around, converted, school a revolving door. Two, disinvestment, failure from the beginning, on opening day unequipped, starved, forced cuts. Three, disenfranchisement, stripped of decisions, subjected to a sham, minutes to speak, decisions made behind closed doors, phase out hearing, remove chairs, sit on the cement. Lippmann and Gutierrez described the process of school closure as a shock treatment. I personally could not define it better myself, and while I may not have had a fully, may not have a fully fleshed out answer to Ewing's initial question, I will continue to grapple with it as I move further along my educational trajectory, hoping to learn more every day about the history of education within Chicago.
The effects of school closings in Chicago's black and brown communities is ongoing, as is the debate around public schools, who they are run by, how they're financed, how success is measured. As I struggle to find the words that make most sense of what to do next, I look to the work of my colleague, Gray, whose response helped me access my own. And quite honestly, I haven't been able to stop staring at the image they made. It's a digital collage and hopefully a link to the image has been shared with you. And if not, well, here's my reflection. At first glance, there's lots of movement. A frenetic energy of gray-scaled images, gradients of brick red and warm browns, faces upon faces upon places that no longer exist the way they were meant to, but now you know why. And it's in that knowing that you begin to see. In a shuffle of hundreds of photos, faces become more clear, not the glimmer of an eye or the sweat of a brow, but the profile of a people in prayer, circles of protest, palms on shoulders, hands cupped around mouths and wrapped around poles holding signs saying things we can feel without being heard. Handwritten words you could make out sound like save diet, eviction is death, Fund our schools, not police. Real estate exploitation produces ghettos. Justice for... I hope you get a chance to take a look at it and come up with responses of your own. And I'll end here with a quote straight from the book. By studying how social systems have arisen over time, we can see not only how things are now, but how they could be otherwise. The present is not inevitable. Things have come to be as we know them through human actors. If we understand the genesis of our present, we have a chance of changing the future. That's our time. I'm Giselle, and you've heard Sam, Elise, Claire, Blake, and Gray, Group 4 of Doing Democracy in 2021. Mm-hmm.